Hey, if you guys want to start making your way back to your seats, making your way back to your tables, we're going to be back in the Book of Ruth today, back in our series, rather, on the Book of Ruth. As we get back into our book, we're going we're gonna to spend a little time real quickly and have a, a quick family powwow, a little family meeting. Let's find our ways back. If you have your Bibles, please go ahead right now, even open them up to the book of Ruth. Get ready for that. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 3 today. Ruth chapter 3 is the climax of the book of Ruth. It's the turning point. It's the moment when the... Tri- when the uh, when the uh, tension transitions into anticipation. It's a beautiful book, or part of the book. But before we get back into the book of Ruth today, I want to have a quick moment just to have a, a family conversation, a family discussion. And I use the word family intentionally, uh, not as some hyper-emotionalized word that we're a club who just really likes each other a lot, so we're a family. When we say family, we mean something profound, something theologically deep and rich. The reality is, if if God is my father, if I've been adopted into the family of God because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, my faith in the gospel, and that's true of you as well, and God is your father, and your father, and your father, and we're brothers and sisters. We're part of the family. Anybody who's been adopted into the family of God, whether it's in America or Europe, South America, anywhere, you're part of the family of God. If you've been adopted into the family of God, hundreds of years ago. You're part of the family of God. And we are a part of this universal family of Christians throughout the world and throughout time. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. And that's why we call ourselves the family. And this universal family of God manifests manifests itself in local, local places throughout the world. And so we are the body of Christ in Alton, rather the family of Christ in Alton. And just like any family... Families have different needs, and the members of that family uh, have the responsibility to meet those needs, to care for the needs of the family. And so we, our church, our local church family, has some needs. Uh, Specifically right now, one of our most pressing needs is the needs in our nursery in Adventureland. And we share the responsibility at our church to try to care for one another, to try to make all of this possible. And we have an army of volunteers who work every single Sunday to get this all set up, to lead up on stage, to serve in the back, to serve back in Adventureland in a nursery. But the problem is when we are here being led into worship and feeding on the Word of God, they're back there serving with the kids. They don't get to worship with us. And they get to miss, or they have to, rather, miss this time of worship and this time of community and fellowship in the Word. And so if we could have more members of this family take on the responsibility of serving this church and taking care of the needs of this church, uh, dispersing the responsibility amongst the family, that would be good for everyone involved. So if you're willing to just give two or three or four or five weeks of your year to helping back in the nursery or back in Adventureland, that would be a beautiful way to help serve your community, your family. So we've got a sign-up sheet over here on the information table. And if you're willing just to give a couple weeks of your year to serve with the nursery, or Adventureland, um, that would be a beautiful way to serve and help your family. And if you have other ways that you want to serve or gifts that you can use to serve the church, serve the body, serve the family, (laughs) uh, you can sign up for those over there as well. So thank you for considering that. Please take some time this week to pray about that, and you can sign up over there on the information table. So now we're going to be back in the book of Ruth. 
It's been a beautiful ride so far. I know that for me, um, I have never dug this deep into Ruth as I've gotten to, as I've prepared for these sermons. And the book of Ruth starts in deep, profound darkness. And then in chapter 2, what we find is a, a growing hope. We meet this man who was a redeemer, somebody who can fix the situation. And as we're getting into chapter 3, there's some tension. Because we've met the Redeemer, and the question that we're asking as we're getting into chapter 3 of the book of Ruth is, is the Redeemer going to redeem? Will Boaz marry Ruth? Will he redeem the family? Will he protect the name of Elimelech, his land, his property? And will he provide provision and protection for Ruth and for Naomi? That's the tension that we're feeling as we're stepping into chapter 3. It's the question we're asking. So as we get into this book, we're going to find the answer to that. And this is the climax of the story. The climax when, when everything is laid on the line and Boaz gives his answer. So let's stop for a moment. Let's pray. Prepare our hearts to dive into the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Father, it's a joy to be a part of a family. A family who comes together uh, weekly and even more than weekly, Lord. Uh, to be together for a time of worship through community, through the word, through song. And Father, as we continue our time of worship in the word of God, in your word, we pray that we would take it as it is, that we would take it as your word, that we would believe it, that we would trust that it would speak into us, Father. If we're distracted by anything, Lord, something we're going to do later on today or something that happened earlier this morning, Lord, wipe that from our minds. Help us be focused and present in the word this morning. We pray that your word would speak to us through scripture, through Ruth chapter 3. And Lord, if I share anything that is not from you, Lord, help it pass through our ears and help us not remember it. And Lord, if there's anything that you want us to hear, anything that you need us to hear, to recognize and to be changed by, Lord, don't let us forget that truth. Help us leave today with that truth echoing in our ears. Don't let us ignore the things that you're calling us to, the changes you're calling us to make, the actions you're willing us and asking us to take. Father, we are yours as we were singing about this morning, Lord. We want our life to be a throne upon which... You rule, Lord. So, Lord, use us, change us, direct us, and lead us, Father. And may the word of God, may your word help us do that. This time is for you, Lord, every week. So speak to us today through Ruth chapter 3, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We're going to have the ESV, the English Standard Version, on the screen. Any version you have is fine, uh, but please follow along. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is, Boaz our, is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And so Naomi directs her, and she says, Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. And put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. 
Back in chapter 2, we saw this growing hope, this growing hope that redemption and restoration would come to the family of Ruth and Naomi. And here, Naomi, she's desiring marriage for Ruth. She's desiring for her to be redeemed, to have a new start, a second chance at life, to seek provision and protection for Ruth and for herself. So she says, should I not seek rest for you? In other words, should I not seek marriage for you? And Naomi sees an opportunity, saying, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And so she directs her to do a really strange thing, to go and uncover this man's feet and lay down at his feet. I mean, that's, it's, it's strange. Now, why would this woman have her daughter-in-law go uncover a man's feet as he's sleeping and lay down next to him? I mean, where is this leading? What is happening in this passage? Before we jump to any conclusions, let's continue to read. Let's continue to see where this passage is going. And then we'll look back and try to figure this out. So three through nine. And she replied, Ruth, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lie down and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, there was a woman laying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What's this all about? What's going on here? Because as we look through Scripture, and even, even as we look through other ancient writings throughout the Near East, we have never found any other record of anyone ever uncovering somebody's feet and laying down next to them. We don't know what this is about. And we don't have an answer. But, but when we look at this text, when we look at the context, it seems like maybe that's some sort of humility, some sort of submission, some sort of sign like that. But let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. What this passage looks like is it looks like this is a sexual advance. It looks like Naomi is telling Ruth to go and offer herself to Boaz, wait for his heart to be merry, which is an expression which likely means with wine, and then to go quietly to him. And many people throughout the years who've read this passage and tried to figure out what it means has actually come to this conclusion that Ruth was making a sexual advance on Boaz. But the thing that we have to recognize is that when we look at this passage, we might agree if it wasn't for the fact that every other part of this book points exactly in the opposite direction. When we read this passage in the context of the entire book of Ruth, it would be amazing, it would be backwards if this was actually what was happening. Because every other part of the book, every other thing it tells us about Ruth and Boaz doesn't, doesn't fit with that conclusion. In fact, nothing implies that the, these three people would resort to sexual immorality. The author of the book of Ruth has shown repeatedly that they were people who desired to follow the law of God. That they were people who desired to honor God. Who acted even doing hard things for the desire of honoring the heart of God. The writer goes to great lengths, rather, to show that Ruth is a worthy, upright, and godly woman. And Ruth is an upright, godly man. And so the conclusion that this is a sexual advance is not consistent with this passage. So what do we know? What do we know? 
about this passage? Well, we know two things. Number one, we know that the context does not suggest any impurity in the act. And the second thing we know is we know what the goal of the act is. We never have any other examples of anybody doing this in ancient history. But we do know from the context here what the goal of the act is. We know what they want to happen. Ruth tells us, actually, in this passage. Naomi hints about it back in verse 1, that she wants to find a rest for her. Speaking about marriage, speaking about a redeemer. And then Ruth says in this passage, Boaz, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now that language of spreading your wings over her, does that sound familiar? Because last week in chapter 2, verse 12, we hear that Boaz compliments Ruth and, and is so impressed by the way that Ruth returned to Israel underneath the wings of God. It's the same language. It's the same language yet again. So what can we figure out about this passage in light of what we learned last week? Last week, Ruth received provision and protection when she came under the wings of God, when she entered into the covenant community of, of Israel. At the moment that she did, at the moment that she tied herself to God, at the, that very moment, she entered under his wings, receiving his covenant care, protection, and provision. And so when she comes and says, Boaz, spread your wings over me, what she's asking Boaz to do is to continue the protection and the provision that he started showing her in chapter 2. To give covenant care to her. And while the covenant that she is a part of from God is the covenant that God made to Israel, the covenant that she's asking Boaz to give to her is the covenant of marriage. And she wants to embrace the protection and the provision that comes with the covenant of marriage. Be my redeemer, she said. And so when we look at this passage, we have to understand, this is nothing less than a marriage proposal. Ruth is saying to Boaz, redeem me, marry me, be in a covenant relationship with me, let me crawl under your wings, provide for me, protect me. This is a huge moment. This is the biggest moment, the biggest climax of the entire book. And we can feel the tension here, because if, if Boaz does say yes, then she has redemption. She has restoration. She has provision and protection. And everything that she lost when she lost her husband, when she left her home, is going to be restored to her. But on the other side of things, if he says no, then she's right back where she started. A widowed refugee in a foreign land, This hope that we found in chapter 2 is shattered. And she's a woman sitting awkwardly in the dark. There's a lot on the line here. And it all comes down to how Boaz is going to reply. So look in verses 10 through 13. And he, Boaz, said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. 
But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Ruth takes a risk, and it works. She comes and she presents herself to Boaz. She asks him to redeem her, and he agrees. And not just that, he tells her why he agrees. He says here in this passage, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He sees her kindness. He sees her loyalty and faithfulness. He sees her heart. He sees all of that because he saw it in the way that she returned back with Naomi. And he sees it also in the way that she is seeking restoration and redemption, not just for her own sake, but also for the sake of Naomi and also for the family of Elimelech. She's not just seeking herself. She's seeking the good of the whole family. And while she could have come home and just sought after a young man who had money or looked for the best situation for herself, what she decided to do was seek after a man who was a part of the family to, to preserve the name of Elimelech, to preserve the property and the land within the family of Elimelech. She didn't take the easiest route. What she did was she took the proper route. And she did that out of respect for the covenant that God made between himself and the family and for the good of the family. And so what we see is that is why Boaz is so impressed by her. That's why Boaz agrees to her request. Because he sees Ruth's heart. He sees her faithfulness. She's seeking the good of Elimelech's family as well as her own. But then Boaz says this in chapter, or in verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remember we were talking about this last week, that the responsibility of redeeming a widow fell first to the brother and then spread out in concentric circles. So there is an order of the people who are expected to redeem the widow. And so Boaz is saying, yes, I am in the line, but there is somebody before me in line. And he says, if that man is going to redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And the thing that we must not miss in this passage is that one thing is certain. In this moment, in this very moment in the book of Ruth, one thing is certain. She came back to Israel empty, without hope. And in this moment, we know it's going to result in redemption. That no matter how the next couple of verses, the next chapter plays out, it will end with redemption. Either this new man who's, he's, who's closer in line is going to redeem her, or Boaz is going to redeem her. There is no more question. Her redemption is coming. And Ruth is going to receive the blessing that they have been hoping for. She's going to receive the blessing that she thought she abandoned when she left Moab. A new family. A new hope. A redeemer will redeem. We can know this for sure. The end is decided. Ruth's hope is secure. That's what we see right here. That's what happens when Boaz gives this promise. A redeemer will redeem. They know that for sure. The end is decided. Their hope is secure. And as the tension of the passage decreases, the anticipation of the restoration increases. 
And that's what we see in these last couple verses as this chapter draws to an end. Decreasing tension and rising anticipation. So look with me in 14 through 18. So she, Ruth, lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Naomi, wait, my daughter, until you learn how this matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And as the chapter comes to an end, what we're seeing is more provision, more protection. Boaz made a promise and seals the deal by giving her exactly what she came actually looking for. Provision, protection, provision in giving her more barley, protection by letting her stay safely through the night, not touching her through the night, and then protecting her reputation from slander by sending her away before it was light enough to be seen. He's continuing the role of a redeemer through this provision and protection. And in the last verse of this passage, we see that the tension transforms fully into anticipation when Naomi says this. Wait until you learn how this matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The book of Ruth opens in darkness. And then out of the darkness shines hope in chapter 2 when they meet the Redeemer. Then here in chapter 3, the hope is made a reality through the promise of this Redeemer. This is the climax of the book because this is the turning point. This is what they have wanted from the very, very beginning. Knowledge that redemption is coming. We have a promise now. Redemption is coming. That has been accomplished in chapter 3. But still, as we come to the end of chapter 3, we have to acknowledge that redemption still has not fully come. Yes, there's a promise. Yes, redemption is going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet. Ruth returns home with barley and a promise. But not a new husband. Not a fixed situation. Not redemption. In other words, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. And they have a certainty that a redeemer will redeem. They can know that for sure. The end is decided. Their hope is secure. And even though it still has not happened, the certainty that a full redemption is coming soon is the best thing that they can have at this moment. They're still widows. Ruth is still a refugee. But their mourning is over. Because a redeemer will redeem them. They can know that for sure. The end is decided. Their hope is secure. And that's what we see in Ruth chapter 3. A sure and a confident hope through the promise of their Redeemer. A sure and a confident hope through the promise of their Redeemer. That's the climax of the book. But it's not the culmination of the book. It's the climax, not the culmination. And for us, we can anticipate, we can, we can, 
feel that anticipation. We can resonate with that feeling. We can resonate with the feeling of, of what it's like to know that the climax has already happened. And that that climax changes everything. But there's a culmination that we're still waiting for. Last week, like Ruth, we thought about how, like Ruth, we have a Redeemer, and his name is Jesus Christ, that we already have witnessed the climax of history. We have been redeemed from sin and death by what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. That was the climax of history. Redemption has been accomplished when he died on the cross for our sins. And that is the climax, but it's not the culmination. It's not the conclusion. We're waiting for something else that someday he will return again to redeem all of creation, making all things new, establishing his kingdom in its fullness. So just like Ruth, we too are living in this time in between, in between the already and the not yet, in between the, the climax and the culmination, in between Jesus's redemptive work on the cross and Jesus's ultimate redemption when he returns again. We have been redeemed by Jesus Christ already. That work is finished. And yes, we still struggle with sin and we still struggle with the suffering of this life. But just like Ruth, we can wait also while we rejoice. Rejoice in the knowledge that the end is decided. Our hope is secure. Be free. The thing that we have to learn from Ruth chapter 3 that we can live confidently in the in-between. We can live confidently because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And because of what he's done on the cross, we can live confidently knowing that what's coming for us is decided. The end is secure. The culmination hasn't come yet, but we can be confident that it's coming. We can be confident of what our future holds. That one day, Jesus will come to restore all things, and there will be no more death, no more tears. And even in our suffering today, we suffer in the confident hope of this future coming culmination, this future coming full restoration. Because our Redeemer has redeemed. We can know that for sure. So the end is decided. And our hope is secure. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we, as we think through this book of Ruth, as we, as we have been thinking through this book of Ruth, we've seen over and over again this theme of redemption. And redemption looks different for Ruth than it does for us today. You provided redemption for Ruth through Boaz, through a man. And Father, you also provided redemption for us through a man, through the man Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to earth to live the perfect life here, to live the life that we could not live, but then to bear our sins in our place and die in our place so that we could have life. And he rose again from the dead and is currently living in heaven, with you, ruling over all of creation, Lord. And it's him we worship when we come together. You have given us redemption through this man. And so, Father, as we wait for the day when that redemption is applied to all of creation, when our tears are wiped away, when the new kingdom comes in its fullness, Father, give us hope in this time that's in between. 
Give us certainty and confidence in the knowledge that you have us here in the middle. That as we suffer and as we struggle and as we're tempted, Lord, we have a God who is currently, currently ruling over all things. So, Father, we give this morning to you as a time of worship. We give this morning to you also as a time of reminder to remember the hope that we have. And not just a hope where we cross our fingers, but a sure and confident hope because of what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross. So, Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we close the worship.